This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. I'd like to thank my Patreon sponsors for supporting the show, especially the Marx family and Stephen Culp. If you're enjoying the podcast, newsletter, or Instagram feed, please consider supporting me at patreon.com slash chatcivics. Nicole Heyman is Chattanooga's first chief housing officer, a role created by Mayor Tim Kelly to bring a unified vision and strategy to the city's various affordable housing programs. I'm Nicole Heyman. I'm the chief housing officer for the city of Chattanooga. So thank you for being here. I want to start with just a definitional question. What is affordable housing? HUD defines affordable housing um, by looking at when a family becomes cost burdened. And a family that is paying less than 30% of their income, including utility costs for housing, is living affordably. When you're paying more than 30% of your income, including utilities towards housing, you're cost burdened. And when you're paying more than 50% of your income, including utilities towards housing, you're severely cost burdened. So trying to stay under that 30% for your rent or your mortgage and your utilities and that would kind of qualify as what is affordable for most people. Right. Um, so how does that vary in a place where, you know, we have people making $200,000 a year and then we have people making minimum wage? Um, how do you find define affordability for an area where your incomes are all over the map? Well, your incomes are all over the map, and so are rent prices and housing prices. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's a challenge. Our residents have to, to look pretty far and wide to find housing that they can afford on their income, um, which is one of the reasons why the city is so invested in making sure that every Chattanoogan, no matter their income, their socioeconomic econo- uh, background, has access to f- housing that they can afford mm-hmm. on their salary. Um, and we very much would like that to be citywide. We want people to be able to live where they choose to live. Um, and we want them to live in amenity-rich, vibrant neighborhoods. Um, and so it's a challenge. So uh, are there other lifestyle impacts considered when you define affordable distance to work or proximity to transit, or you mentioned these kind of amenity rich neighborhoods. Um, so you might not be spending 30% on your rent and your mortgage and utilities. You might be spending 35%, but you have lower transportation costs, for example, uh, something like that. Is that, are there any metrics either that HUD uses or that this office uses to measure that? Right. So HUD definitely sticks to the definition of your cost burdened if you're paying more than 30% of your income plus utilities. Mm-hmm. And they don't take into account anything other than income mm-hmm. and housing costs. Um, and that's because there's so many different variables, right? right? So when you live in a metropolitan area, you have a downtown core, you have suburban areas, but then the same holds true for when you're in a rural area. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to build those factors in. So we really look strictly at income and housing prices. Mm-hmm. However, um, if you're not forced out into 
further reaches of the city to find affordable housing, then perhaps you don't have to have a car. Perhaps you won't be paying as much in gas, which would give you more income to spend on higher rents in the downtown core. Mm -hmm. So it affects those decisions. It affects how much income you're bringing in and and putting out Mm -hmm. on those things. Um, What we really want is for there to be housing that is affordable to the working family in all areas of our city, whether it's in the downtown core where people walk to work or whether it's in further areas of the city where perhaps they're working outside the city and it's closer proximity to their work there. Mm -hmm. But we're really intentional about driving housing prices where we can that are affordable to a working family anywhere they may choose to live. And we very much want our residents to have the opportunity to pick their neighborhood. Great. Well, I want to talk about some of the major factors that are making housing unaffordable in Chattanooga. And I'm sure these are all over the map and, and impact affordability in different ways. But if you could just talk about some of the factors that y'all are tracking in this office. Well, Chattanooga is not unlike the rest of the country where we have seen a dramatic increase in the price of housing mm-hmm. over the last four or five years. Um, You know, before 2019, Chattanooga had housing that was affordable, especially at the rental um, level for for folks that were looking for rental units. We had housing that was affordable to a majority of of Chattanoogans. If you wanted to live and work in Chattanooga, uh, you you could find an affordable option, something that you were paying 30% or less of your income for. Um, Unfortunately, some of those units may not have been the most quality units, Mm. right? They might not have been in the closest of proximity to work or amenities, but it was basically a city that the average working family could afford to live in. And with um, the popularity of Chattanooga, and um, our, our wonderful natural resources, and then COVID, and the change that, that came with folks being able to decide where in the country they wanted to work from home. We saw a great number of residents um, move into Chattanooga and start driving up home prices mm-hmm. and driving up rents. So With such a dramatic increase in housing prices over the last five years, the average Chattanoogan is feeling really pinched in the market today. Um, And so one of the things that we really are laser focused on as an administration is preserving what we have that is affordable to the working family in Chattanooga today, and then finding ways to increase the development or preservation of units that will become affordable to Chattanoogans today because, you know, the housing market, you know, I have some statistics here. In 2013, the median sales price of a home around the downtown area, which includes St. Elmo, Highland Park, Avondale, Missionary Ridge, was 115000 And it was 90000 in the Brainerd area and 189000 in the North Chattanooga, Rivermont area. The current median listing price in the downtown area today is 499000 
It's 549,000 in North Chattanooga and 315,000 in the Brainerd area. So you can see that dramatic increase in housing prices. And of course, wages have not kept up, not just in Chattanooga. This is a problem countrywide, mm-hmm. right? Housing prices are going through the roof and wages are almost stagnant. Maybe they're increasing a little in Chattanooga for across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have that huge disparity and that jump in, in price, something has to give, right? And so we cannot afford to lose our, our longtime residents. And more importantly, those residents are the residents that are the backbone of this city. Those residents are the residents that drive our school buses, that are our police officers and our teachers and our, you know, restaurant and hospitality workers. Um, and so we have to be intentional as a city about making sure that there are choices and that residents who are committed to living and working and standing up this great city have options for housing that they can afford and not be cost burdened or, or worse yet, severely cost burdened um, because we can't have this thriving, beautiful city without the people that that get up every morning and make it work. So do you have current numbers, especially given this dramatic increase over the past 10 years on how many Chattanoogans are cost burdened or severely cost burdened? You know, that's a very good question. And I don't know um, off the top of my head those numbers. We recently did uh, commissioned a housing needs analysis uh, to tell us how many units we have that were affordable based on subsidy and how many we need in the future. Mm-hmm. And I believe in that report, there are some uh, statistics that show how many folks are making what level of income across the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy to, to uh, provide that report to you and, and pull some of the, the numbers out for you. But off the top of my head, I do not know that number. Okay. Uh, yeah, if that, that would be great if I could put that report in my show notes and people could take a look at it and, Happy and find the numbers themselves. That would Absolutely. be awesome. So I want to discuss the mayor has announced a hundred million dollar affordable housing fund. Yes. And it's being partially funded by the city. I Correct. think 30 something million dollars and then partially funded by private partners. Um, how is that money being raised and then how is it being used? So we um, we're approaching it several different ways. Um, We recently put an RFP out soliciting interested parties who wanted to come in and stand up our affordable housing revolving fund. Um, And we just recently closed that solicitation process and are in the process of awarding one of our um, respondents that contract. They will... uh, be notified very soon. So I can't, I can't say too much about what that's going to look like other than yes, the city is leveraging, um, it's general fund and, uh, American rescue plan dollars, um, to put into that fund and our part, our selected partner will then be, uh, bringing to the table resources from banks and other lending institutions, um, that will leverage that fund. And we will also be partnering, we hope, with our philanthropic community, both locally and nationally, mm-hmm. uh, to add to that revolving fund. 
Um, so we are definitely in the process of standing that up and we'll, uh, it's to be announced very shortly. Um, I suspect that the, the award will be in the next week and that we'll start contract negotiations and have an announcement for you sometime in September. Great. And then are there any particular plans about how that fund is going to be used? What sorts of projects? I know I'm sure there's not specifics yet if the partner has not been selected, but just generally, is that going to go to rent subsidies or is it going to go to building new housing? How is that fund going to be used, generally speaking? So generally speaking, we anticipate that it will provide capital um, different ways for different projects. It won't subsidize rents. Um, but what it will do is close the gap for the development and preservation of workforce and affordable housing across the city. Mm -hmm. um, there will be a quick strike fund. We anticipate that will allow developers access to capital for the acquisition uh, and development of, of properties into affordable housing. Mm -hmm. um, and then there will be longer term capital, more patient capital that will help close the gap on, say, low income housing tax credit projects or other projects that um, involve home dollars for the production of affordable housing where we need to, to layer uh, subsidy and access to low interest loans to make that capital stack work. There will also be um, a product for the renovation and preservation of, of units that are either currently affordable or perhaps they're market rate units that have uh, gotten a little long in the tooth and need to be renovated and there will be money available in um, in exchange for making those uh, units affordable. Mm -hmm. So it's across the board money for the to incentivize the development and preservation um, of units that will be affordable to our working families in Chattanooga. Great. So I want to talk about a couple other programs that I've read about doing research on, on your office and, and your work so far. So I want to start out by talking about the first time home buyer grant and loan program. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and how it works? Sure. We're really excited about this, this uh, program. It's one of the first that we've launched in, since my tenure here uh, as a new program. Um, we're partnering with CNE. Um, and the city has put $1.5 million into a loan or into a fund uh, that is accessible to first-time home buyers for down payment assistance. We define first-time home buyers as those uh, families or individuals who have not owned a home in the last three years. And um, for families or individuals making up to 80% AMI, there is $50,000 available for down payment assistance in the form of a silent mortgage, which means there's no interest and no payment uh, that is required on that $50,000 down payment for the life of the loan. Um, there's also $10,000 available for closing costs in the form of grant, which means it's completely forgivable. Um, for folks making between 80 and 100% AMI, there's $40,000 available for down payment assistance with the $10,000 closing cross grant. And so what that means is working families, teachers, city employees, our police officers are able to um, attain home ownership when they haven't in the past. 
and we're really excited. We've we've closed two loans so far, so we have two families that are in housing that they would not otherwise have been able to to have. Um, and we have, I believe, the the latest update is four more uh, closings that are anticipated in the next thirty days, and we have pre-qualified, I believe, about 20 families, which means they're out looking for housing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Our challenge is not that there aren't families or individuals that are interested in the program. We have plenty of interest and we've got plenty of folks qualified. The challenge is finding a house that that family can afford, even with Forty or fifty thousand dollars for down payment assistance. Right. Um, the program requires that the house be priced at no more than three hundred thousand dollars, and that inventory is slim. Um, we really, really need the development of housing at a price point that's affordable to Chattanoogans that are trying to achieve the American dream of home ownership. So. We, we hope that as we have more folks pre-qualified and as our development community sees that this is a real need and that there is a pipeline of pre-qualified purchasers with real down payment assistance, that we will see more housing coming online in that $300,000 or less price point. Mm-hmm. Um, quite frankly, we need it to be a lot less than 300000 you know, an average working family making $50,000 a year, even $300,000 with $50,000 in assistance is, is tough, if, if not impossible. Um, so we're hoping that as we show that we have money to put into these projects and we have families qualified for the mortgage, that our development community will be uh, more likely to partner with us and produce housing units that are affordable uh, to our working families so that we, we can put families in home ownership because home ownership is the best way to build generational wealth for a family. Mm-hmm. And as Mayor Kelly has said a l- many times and, and is um, a, a big supporter of building generational wealth, especially in our black and brown communities um, who have not had access to wealth building through real estate uh, at the same rate and in the same way as as our white community has. So we are very intentional um, about that as well and trying to uh, bring equity to home ownership across the city. I, I have a few follow-up questions on that. I want to start with you mentioned first-time homebuyers being defined as somebody who's not owned a home in the past three years. Correct. So that's Really interesting because I feel like when people hear first-time first time home buyer program, so I want to make sure that this gets out to as many people as possible. Right. If you've not owned a home in the past three years, you qualify. You might qualify for this program. That that's is really a, interesting. And I'll be honest, I don't know if that's a national mortgage definition or a HUD definition, um, but nationally, first-time home buyer is defined as someone who has not owned a home in three years. So first-time home buyer, it's a little misleading, but it there is a time period on that. So right. if you, say, are um, a single mom who had divorced and 
at the time of divorce, had owned a home with her husband, um, and it's been three years, and she's looking for a home now. She will qualify as a first-time home buyer. So it is a three-year requirement, and after that three years, you can qualify as a first-time home buyer. Right. That's really good to know. Uh, I want to talk about a couple more technical questions. You mentioned 80% AMI, 80 to 100% AMI, um, and I know we were talking about this before the interview, but just broadly, what is AMI? What does that stand for? Oh, sure. So area median income is basically just the percentage of the median income in the, as HUD defines the area. So every part of the country is defined differently based on median income um, relative to that area. So mm -hmm. in Chattanooga, for this specific program, this down payment assistance program we're talking about, um, a single person at 80% AMI would would need to be make, making $44,600 or less annually to qualify for the program. And a single person at 100% AMI would need to be making less than $55,800 a year uh, to qualify for the program. Okay, thank you. And then one last kind of technical question before we move on to talk about some of these other programs. Um, why was that $300,000 number chosen as kind of the maximum house value? And, and the main reason I ask that is based on the, the numbers you shared earlier about how house prices, average house prices in the downtown area are now almost $500,000. And in Brainerd, I think you said they're 350 or 400, something around there. Um, so how, how did you come down to this 300,000 number? Where does that come from? Um, well, quite simply, when you look at the income requirements for a family making between 80 and $100,000, even with the substantial down payment assistance of, you know, 50,000 plus the $10,000 in closing, that family would not be able to qualify for a mortgage for a house that exceeded okay. $300,000. So it sets expectations. So as folks come and apply for this, um, for this assistance, they understand where the parameters are because they would not qualify for a house more than 300,000. And unfortunately, some of our families making 80% AMI or below wouldn't even qualify for that. And so while the cap is 80 or 100% AMI, that's not the limit, right? So if you're making 50% AMI, you can still come and apply for housing assistance, for down payment assistance. Um, but we really set the $300,000 as the, the most that a family making 100% AMI would be able to qualify for. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Uh, I want to move on and talk about the home affordable rental and homeowner housing program. Could you briefly discuss that and what goes into that? All right. So our home affordable housing program is um, generally used for closing finance gaps for new construction of housing um, or for the preservation of housing in the city. So, we have home dollars and CDBG dollars that are available for the production and preservation of affordable housing in the city. And so we generally use our home dollars in, in instances where developers want to provide affordable housing 
um, and the home dollars have a requirement of a certain percentage of those units being maintained as affordable for certain time periods. Mm -hmm. Um, CDBG is used in the same way for the preservation um, of affordable housing in the city. And so we have HUD entitlement dollars. We, We are allocated money every year. Um, a total of about $3 million per year, some for homes, some for CDBG. And the city runs various programs that allows developers to come in and apply for those um, funding sources to close the gap on development in exchange for affordable units. Great. And then there's a couple other programs. I want to briefly hit all these before we get on to some other questions. Sure. There's the Landlord Renovation Program that mm-hmm. I saw. Yes, the land, there's the landlord renovation program. Um, and that is a program that is designed to work with, uh, small property, smaller rental property owners. Um, it's, uh, funding available between $12,000 and $17,000 from the city to cover up to 50% of the renovation costs based on the number of bedrooms in the units. So for a one bedroom unit, you can qualify for up to $12,000 as long as that's 50% of the renovation cost, mm-hmm. um, up to three bedrooms, which would take you up to the $17,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so those funds are available for the rehabilitation of um, affordable rental units. And um, those properties have to remain available to uh, folks making less than 80% AMI for up to seven years. And applications for those funds are taking are taken year round. So you can apply to the city if you uh, have a rental property that needs um, some substantial rehab. Uh, you can apply to the city for those matching funds at any time during the year, um, as long as you uh, agree that that property will remain affordable to a family making eighty percent AMI for seven years or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do uh, income verify and, and uh, follow up on compliance with those units on an annual basis. And I'm assuming that's the case with all of these Absolutely. programs. I'm sure the, the specific numbers might be a little bit different, but there's always this expectation and follow up that you said you're going to use this money for affordable housing. All right, you have to submit your paperwork and show this is the affordable housing that's being provided. Absolutely. We we have a wonderful team um, that enforces compliance, led by Sandra Gober. Um, and for every unit that receives any subsidy from the city, whether it's federal dollars, whether it's city dollars, there is an affordability component. The ranges of time change based on the type of funding source. The AMI levels change based on the, the funding source. Mm-hmm. But um, every single dollar that we put into an affordable housing unit means that family, that working family, has access to an affordable housing unit for that time period, and we do annual compliance checks. Great. So there's there's two other programs I want to hit. Uh, the Rapid Rental Repair Program. Right. So the Rapid uh, Rental Repair Program provides assistance to get vacant property, vacant rental units. Um, that need minor repairs back on the market and available to, um, to folks that need affordable housing. It was established during COVID to assist landlords with up to $4,900 of subsidy for uh, repair costs um, in exchange for at least two years of affordability 
for households making 80% AMI or less. So this is really um, a, a quick way to um, do some maintenance that needs to happen in order to quickly turn a vacant unit around and provide housing for families. We don't want to see the lack of um, uh, resources to be able to paint or, or do the things that need to be done between tenants extend the time that that unit is offline. Mm -hmm. We want those units to be repaired and put back online as quickly as possible so that everybody has access to to the housing that they need in the city. So that's the the, um, rapid repair program. And the last one is the residential pilot program. So the residential payment lieu of taxes program is available to developers to preserve or develop quality affordable housing for lower moderate income households at 80% AMI. Um, it's been the primary incentive for our larger rental properties, like our low-income housing tax credit properties. Mm-hmm. Um, with LIHTC, uh, you can't do a LIHTC project without additional subsidy because when the tax credits are, are given out from the state to the developer, those tax credits are taxed. So it makes, it makes the project really hard to get done without additional subsidy. And Mm -hmm. the pilot program has been um, the primary subsidy to ensure that our LIHTC developments come online. And LIHTC developments are are a crucial part of how we provide affordable units to our working families in Chattanooga at scale. Right, because mm-hmm. LIHTC are the larger units. They're not the mom and pop six to ten units. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the larger projects that we have citywide um, to provide affordable and workforce housing to um, to working families. So the pilot is an integral part of that capital stack to make those projects work. So you've said this term LIHTC. What does that stand for? Low income housing tax credit. And it's the financial mechanism by which developers apply for tax credits from the state um, to receive that tax credit benefit for them to be able to produce large-scale rental units in the city. Um, For the pilot in in the city, it has to be um, a a project that is a multifamily project that's valued at at least $5 million. Um, And the the pilot program has been around since I, I believe 2006 and has gone through different iterations. Um, the current pilot requires at least 50% of the units in the deal be affordable. But you have to also remember that our pilot has a minimum affordability requirement, but LIHTC also has its own minimum affordability requirements. Mm -hmm. And so when you layer subsidy, the more stringent is what is the precedent for the deal. So if LIHTC requires more affordability at different levels than what our pilot does, and you couple the pilot with LIHTC, then the LIHTC is more stringent and those affordability requirements are, are imposed on the deal. Whereas if we have a multifamily developer that chooses to take advantage of the pilot without LIHTC, then they would be required to maintain 50% of those units of um, affordable to 80% AMI. Great. So I want to back up just a little bit uh, and explain a pilot program quickly for our listeners. So, and, and correct me, either of you, if I'm wrong on this, but a pilot program 
is when a property is placed under the ownership of the Industrial Development Board, which then essentially leases that property back to the developer, usually at a lower rate than whatever their property taxes would have been. So it's you're getting your break on your taxes, but you're also deeding the ownership back to the Industrial Development Board, and so then they can put all of these various conditions on the property. Correct. Okay. So just for all of our listeners to understand how this program actually works and how it's moving through the system. Uh, Thank you. So I want to move on to a couple more general questions. And this one, I hear this a lot, that new construction is announced in the paper or people see it going down the street and they see that new quote unquote luxury housing is going in. And the narrative is that when a new development is announced, this new luxury housing increases prices across the board for everybody in the area. The presence of a new luxury development makes the area more uh, desirable, I suppose. Does that bear out in your data and your experience in this role? And I guess more generally, how does new construction affect housing affordability in a very general sense in your experience? That's an interesting approach. Um, I think there are a few ways to look at it. I, I, I think in Chattanooga, if if you look at the market as a whole, we need more housing units, right? At every level of affordability. We have folks that want to live here, that are coming here, that are bringing their families, that are filling new jobs because our uh, economic development is robust and we are creating new jobs. And so we are bringing people in from the outside. But we also have a group of longtime residents who are here and want to stay here. And because we've got that combination, we don't have enough housing units to house everybody who wants to live in Chattanooga. So we need the development of units at every level of affordability. What we really need also is to make sure that as we're developing new units, some of them are affordable to working Chattanoogans at every price point. Arguably, every time you add a new unit, you're actually providing people with more housing choices, which means folks that are living in lower rent situations that could afford a little bit more, maybe don't have an opportunity for that little bit more yet because those units haven't been developed. Mm -hmm. As those units come online, what we see is folks that are living in our more affordable units that can afford a little bit more and maybe want to move up to a, a newer, shinier unit are moving into those units and taking those newer developed units, which means they're loosening up the hold that they have on the more affordable units. So that's providing more affordability to our lower and and um, working families. So yes, we have a lot of new construction and it's being billed as luxury, but every unit that we add in the city is helpful and it, it helps loosen that tight hold that we have on the small number of units that are affordable in the city. Mm-hmm. So as people's income grow 
as they're able to achieve more in either home ownership or rental pricing than the folks that are at our lower income levels have more units available. So it loosens the whole bottleneck that we have right now. Um, but yes, I, I understand also that what we're seeing is a lot of new high-end development, and that's where the incentives that the city has to offer through home and CDBG and LIHTC and pilot and our new revolving loan fund and all the other subsidy that the city has available can be an important part of this new construction. And so what we hope is as we make more money available through the revolving loan fund, as people become more aware of the subsidy that's available at the city level, through our HUD entitlement dollars and otherwise, developers will be more inclined to come to the city in partnership and build in some affordability so that it's not all luxury units. It's luxury mixed with working family achievable rent so that we have a mixed income approach to the housing that's being built all over the city. That was a great answer. Thank you. That helps clarify that situation for me, at least. I want to move on to talk about zoning a little bit. How does zoning affect affordability, the restrictions of what developers can and cannot build on a particular lot? Yeah, zoning impacts everything, right? Um, And, you know, we are great partners with RPA. And as the city develops policies um, around housing and housing affordability and the ways that the city would like to see investment in housing, we really rely on our partners at RPA um, to help us achieve those policy goals through zoning changes. Mm-hmm. So it's a wonderful partnership. Um, and we are very clear that in appropriate circumstances and appropriate neighborhoods, uh, we need to, to build some density. Um, that doesn't mean that we're going to go into a, a single family residential neighborhood and put four story condos, right? But it could mean that if it's appropriate and RPA feels like the zoning changes are necessary to accommodate more units, that on some of our residential parcels, we may want to encourage um, ADUs to be built. Mm-hmm. Or we may say that instead of one house per acre, let's put two. Um, we really rely on RPA to, to make that deep dive assessment as to what zoning changes are appropriate where. Um, but the administration is definitely uh, focused on building gentle density where it's appropriate so that we can add um, housing units across the city where it's appropriate to, at the scale that the neighborhood uh, would accept. And there's a tool that I've heard used in other places. And I'm, I'm wondering if it's available to us here in Tennessee where a developer is granted additional density that they might not otherwise have been allowed say you're zoned for five stories well we'll let you build six stories if you make that sixth story affordable housing is that something that we can do here is that something that we have looked into between your office and the rpa so unfortunately uh the state of tennessee has preempted us from being able to offer that type of incentive for the development of housing Mm -hmm. um it is something that is uh, probably one of the most 
uh, impactful restrictions that the state has placed on not just the city of Chattanooga, but all cities and, and um, counties across Tennessee, everyone in the state is struggling um, to meet the needs of housing for their residents, whether they're uh, the big four, Nashville, Knoxville, Memphis, Chattanooga, or our smaller communities that are sprinkled around the state, our suburban areas. We are all feeling the pinch um, of, of housing prices, and we all need to meet uh, affordability levels for our our working families and our seniors in our rural communities, um, and our in our cities as well. So that one restriction um, is probably one of the most impactful restrictions on preventing us from being able to have meaningful, affordable development in the city. And I hope that um, in the next year that we can come together as a state and find a way. Uh, to, to lobby to have the legislature overturn that severe restriction. Um, but for now, we are not able to do that. Now, there's nothing that would prevent a developer from voluntarily coming to the city and saying, you know, I would really like to build that fifth story. And if I do, then I'd give you 30% of those units in that building as affordable units. Um, there's nothing that would prevent us from saying that's a wonderful partnership. We would love to enter into that partnership with you, but that would have to be something that a developer chooses to do and brings as a suggestion to the city. Unfortunately, we can't make that as an offer mm-hmm. on our own. Interesting. Um, so I want to talk about, we, we've spent most of this time talking about different programs that help either people who are buying housing directly or programs that help developers and landlords to either build new housing or to renovate existing housing. But is the city currently considering any more publicly owned housing units at this time to provide just another avenue to provide more units? So the city does not own, manage, operate any housing units. The inventory of public housing um, is the Chattanooga Housing Authority. Mm -hmm. So CHA manages, owns, implements all of the public housing units in the city. Um, And so I would say Betsy McWright would be the right person to answer that question for you. Um, You know, she's got a a beautiful vision for reimagining the West Side and in the West Side of All's plan. that envisions not only a one-for-one replacement of the current public housing units, but in addition of more housing units at various levels of affordability. Um, so I think her plan outlines a vision for adding affordable units in the city and workforce units in the city. Um, but the city is not in itself as an entity is not in the, um, in the business of owning or operating affordable housing units. And I think that's something people get confused about based on the names of all these entities. Chattanooga Housing Authority sounds like it's part of the city. It, it is a standalone entity uh, with its own commission, board of directors. Um, and they are, uh, while they are appointed, that the board of the uh, commission, the board of directors is appointed by the city. They are a standalone entity and, and they are a housing authority under their own legislative um, creation. Right. Okay. 
um, is there much communication between your department and their department Every in day. terms of how new programs are getting implemented? Uh, and, and what does that communication look like? Every day. I mean, all of the work that our Office of Supportive Housing, OSH, mm-hmm. um, and the housing division that I run and the, the housing authority, we are in constant communication. Um, the, the housing authority uh, has um, project-based vouchers, and those are uh, vouchers that go into uh, housing development units that provide affordability based on those units for those vouchers. Um, that is one of the layer of subsidy that can go into some of the affordable housing deals that we put HUD dollars into. So as you're layering subsidy, there are, um, there are tools that the housing authority has, there's tools that the city has, and all of them come together to facilitate the development of workforce and affordable housing. So we're in constant communication, um, and we couldn't do our work without the housing authority, and clearly the housing authority needs us as well. So um, we speak daily, we, we collaborate, we put subsidy into deals to make them work together, um, but they are the entity that owns and manages the affordable housing that is in their inventory, um, the city uh, plays the role of providing subsidy and helping make these deals work, but we do not own uh, any units. Right. Okay, thank you. Um, one last specific question. Can the city impose rent control, and is that something that this office would be a part of or is a part of or could consider? That's another one of those state preemption issues. The, mm. the state uh, preempts us as a city um, from imposing any type of regulation on the relationship between uh, a landlord and a tenant. And then I'd want to open it up to you. And is there anything that you want to mention that you're working on that we haven't covered here or any other ways that you guys are working on promoting affordability that you want to mention before we sign off? Well, I, I, we, um, we spoke a little bit about the housing needs analysis that we've undertaken that I'm providing you and you can put it out as a link mm-hmm. to your, to your listeners. Um, I'm excited to share that on August 29th, we'll also be, um, releasing our housing action plan called housing for one Chattanooga. Um, it will be a, uh, roadmap for the tools and programs that are going to carry us in the next few years uh, to see as much development and preservation of affordable and workforce housing across the city as is possible. Um, And we're really excited about this housing plan. I think it is a clearly articulated path forward. Um, I think it does a really good job of explaining what we're doing now, um, what we need to change, the new tools that we need need to add in the toolkit to accomplish our goals. Um, and I will absolutely make sure you get a copy of it when it comes out on August 29th. It'll be made publicly available on the city's re- website. And I know our comms team will uh, put a lot of social media out around that so people can, can link to it. Um, but I encourage folks to take a minute. It's a big document. I think it's probably around 90 pages. Mm. Um, but I really encourage people to take a minute 
and look through it. And it's an easily digestible document that really explains not just what the needs are, but the ways that we are going to approach adding affordability to the city and creating those amenity-rich neighborhoods where everybody will be able to find a place to live at a price point that they can afford, no matter their socioeconomic background or zip code. So I'm very excited about Housing for One Chattanooga, um, and I hope that you and I can talk about it when that plan's released. Absolutely. And then one final question. If there are any developers listening to this episode and they want to reach out to find out more about some of these programs to provide more affordable housing, or if there is anybody who is looking for affordable housing, what is the best way to learn more about these programs and and get involved? Um, The best way would be to either email me or uh, Sandra Gober, who leads our um, entitlement team. Um, and we can have a call and connect any developer that is interested in providing any level of affordability uh, with the resources and the subsidy that they would need to make that happen. So they can email me, they can call me. Um, we are we have uh, links on our website on the city of Chattanooga's website that explains the different types of su- subsidy that are available. If you want to peruse the website. Um, to get a basic understanding mm-hmm. of what's out there, but it's complicated. And so um, Sandra and I would be happy to talk to any developer that wants basic information or is ready to take the next step and partner with us to provide uh, livable, affordable, quality rental or home ownership options in the city. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. Great. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. Find more civic resources at chattanoogacivics.com. Chattanooga Civics is a member of the Podnooga Network. To find more great podcasts from local creators, find Podnooga on Facebook and Instagram or on the web at podnooganetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.